Hello, and welcome to Registered the Podcast, where we highlight some of the incredible minds entering the healthcare profession in the midst of a global pandemic. Whether you work in healthcare or not, we come here to find stories of some incredible young people tackling tremendous challenges head on. Here, we laugh, we cry, we're scared, we're honest. My name is Kelsey, and I'm a NICU nurse, looking forward to introducing you to some of the truly incredible individuals I've met in the healthcare world. Hey guys, this week I am so excited to bring you a really fun conversation I had with Abby Lanai. She is a NICU nurse, as well as a YouTuber and Instagrammer. And we met over Instagram, actually, and we both started our NICU nursing journeys at around the same time. And I had a really fun time during this interview comparing my NICU experience with her new grad NICU experience and kind of hearing some of my own reflections, like, said back to me from her. Um, And so if you're interested in what it's like to be a NICU nurse and to start in such a specialized field, this would be a really great episode for you. Um, We also talk about some of the anxiety, particularly like pre-shift anxiety that she faced. We talk about her journey through nursing school and becoming a new grad. And we also talk about her Instagram and YouTube. And um, we both provide some interesting reflections about what it's like to be part of this generation and in the Instagram, social media, medicine combination movement. Um, so yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this. Also, I have loved doing this, these interviews, but I guess this is going to be like the end of season one, I guess I'll call it. I do have some interviews lined up, but I purposefully had to space them out and give myself a little bit more time. Um, these interviews really, they only come out every other week, but it actually takes me a lot of time and effort to produce them. And since I've started this baby of the podcast in November, I really have not had a day when I had nothing on my to-do list since November. And especially with being on night shift for a while now, um, it's definitely starting to hit me a little bit and I just need a little bit more time and you can even hear it a little bit in some of the things I say in this interview um burnout can be real when you're becoming a nurse and I'm not saying that I'm just like completely like burnt out leaving the bedside or anything like that but I think the combination of me working and making these podcasts has definitely been a little bit draining and time consuming So as much as I love it, I made the decision to call this the end of season one and we're going to take a little hiatus and don't worry though, I already have interviews scheduled that I'm so excited about and we will be back in a few weeks. So I hope you enjoy this one. Thanks so much. Let's get to it. Hey, Abby. Welcome. I'm so happy to have you. Hi. I'm so excited to be here. So, first of all, just quickie few sentences, introduction, who you are, where you are, what you do. Yeah, awesome. Um, I'm Abby. I'm 25. I'm a new grad nurse in the NICU in Colorado, so I work at a level three. Um, I've been there since about August, so 
approaching my first year, but this is going to be super fun for me because I'm also level three NICU and I started in September and I found you actually because of that. Like I heard you were starting like right before I was starting. I was like, hey girl, we're in the same boat. <laughs> so I am so excited to talk all things NICU with you and talk yeah. about like how our like NICUs and how they're the same and different, like what we like and all of that. Um, yes. But before we get into that, tell me about your upbringing and what led you to go into nursing. Yeah. So um, nursing honestly wasn't something I thought that I was going to do for forever. I wasn't one of those people that just like knew from the time I was little. My mom is actually a nurse practitioner in the NICU. And so I grew up like knowing that about her and seeing her world. Um, And then I also was a preemie myself. So I, you know, was in and out of the hospital as a kid and had appointments and things like that. So I definitely was exposed to the medical field. But nursing was never something that I thought of pursuing on my own until probably later in high school. Um, I'd say like my senior year of high school, I was really toying around with a few things. I was looking into teaching. I was looking into genetics counseling um, and then nursing as well. But like I said, with my mom being an NP, nursing was never anything we kind of discussed. She really wanted it to be like, if it was something I chose to do, I chose to do it on my own. She didn't want to like push me into it. She's always said that nursing is too hard of a career and takes like too much passion and hard work. And nursing school is too hard to just do because you're forced into it. Like you should do it because you love it. So when I graduated high school, I was kind of set between teaching and nursing And I initially went the teaching route and quickly realized that was not the route that I wanted to go. (laughs) Um, It's just like, I don't know. I just wasn't super interested in it like I thought that I was going to be. So then I kind of had this realization of, well, the last thing I considered when I was thinking careers was nursing. So maybe I should go down that route. So I started looking into it and prereqs and all of that stuff. Um, And once I got into prereqs, I loved it. And I've loved it since then. So, Yeah, the only job I think... I could imagine right now that could be harder than being a nurse for me would be being a teacher. Yes, I completely agree. Yeah. Like I have like three patients and I'm like overwhelmed because I want to know like all the details about all of them, (laughs) which is kind of why I like NICU because we don't have like super high ratios. I would never make it as a med surge nurse. Oh, same. Um, But like, I can't imagine having a whole class full of them. I would get so overwhelmed. Like I would want to know like all of their moms, like middle names. (laughs) You know, yes, their life story, all of the things. And yes. that is so cool, too, that you were a NICU baby and your mom is a neonatal NP. Were you, yeah. Are you from Colorado? Um, Not originally, no. I was actually born in Maryland, so out near you. Oh. And then, yeah. And then I grew up in Hawaii and then moved here in middle school. So I've kind of lived a lot of places. Um, But my mom's been a NICU nurse practitioner since before I was born. So like my whole life. Is she still in Maryland? No, she's out here in Colorado too. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, and tell me a little bit about your preemie course. I'm just so curious. <laughs> oh, like me as a preemie? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I was a 27 weeker. So my mom went into preterm labor. Um, she abrupted. She actually went to her doctor's office because she thought she was having contractions and he put his hand on her belly and was like, Oh, I don't feel anything. I think you just have a UTI. You should go home. Well, luckily she was with one of her friends who was a labor and delivery nurse. Like she had driven her to the doctor's office 
And her friend was like, okay, if at any point you feel like you're going to throw up, you need to let me know because that means like your labor's progressing. And she said they barely made it like back home from the doctor's office and she threw up. Like she could barely get out of the car and threw up. So they immediately went to the hospital um, and it was an emergency C-section. So I was 27, I don't know how many days, but 27 weeks. And then I was like a little less than a thousand grams. That's like roughly around two pounds. Um, I stayed in the NICU until I think right about my due date. Back then you pretty much stayed until your due date. And that was consistent for me. I had um, stage, is it stage three with plus disease, which is ROP. So ROP is retinopathy of prematurity, which Kelsey, I know you know all this, but for people that are listening and have no clue what I'm talking about, yeah, um, totally. it's just an eye disease that can be caused by too much oxygen. So when we give babies oxygen, if we give them too much, it can cause the vessels behind their eyes to rapidly develop. And when they develop, they don't develop smoothly. And so that causes issues with the retina and can ultimately lead to blindness. Um, and stage three is pretty severe. Plus disease is very severe. Stage four is like complete blindness. So between stage three, stage two, stage three is when they like to do surgery. So I was pre-surgical. Um, and then at my pre-op appointment, they did like one last look and everything looked fine. It somehow resolved itself. So my ROP went away. Um, I got glasses in high school, but otherwise I've had no vision issues, which is great. I had uh, BPD, which is bronchopulmonary dysplasia. So I had chronic lung disease, which just meant it was really hard to wean me off the ventilator and extubate and wean me off oxygen. Um, I did go home on oxygen, which it's very common to send babies home on oxygen here in Colorado. I think more because of our altitude, but I don't know how common that is out in Maryland especially back in the 90s. I'm not sure. But I came home on oxygen. I was on oxygen probably for like, I think two or three months. Um, and then what else? Let's see. I had, oh, I had grade three and grade four um, brain bleeds. So intraventricular hemorrhage, which typically those types of bleeds are more correlated with, um, you know, decreased developmental delays, um, cerebral palsy. So just like decreased cognition and brain function. So I should have had, they told my parents that I'd likely never catch up to my age group cognitively. I'd be delayed in school if I went to school. Um, I'd probably be severely handicapped. I'd likely have CP and be in a wheelchair. Um, and none of that happened. So that's kind of my story, but not the, not the normal 27 weeker, you know, with those kind of diagnoses don't always turn out this way. So I am very grateful for that. And that's a big piece of what led me into NICU was realizing that I could work with families and babies that had a similar experience to my family's experience. Wow. That is so inspirational. And <laughs> it reminds me just one of my favorite things about being a NICU nurse is I feel like NICU patients are some of the most resilient patients you can have because you like, I frequently see babies who have like three or four brain bleeds and like just they're intubated, extubated, mm -hmm. intubated again. They go through this whole extensive course and they're born so early, but then we follow them. We keep up with them and months later we discharge them. And that is such a good feeling for me. And it's so great to see you as a former NICU patient, like go on to just exceed all expectations and just do some really amazing stuff. 
Thanks. Yeah, I completely agree, though. It is it is really cool to see these like little micros and, you know, all the challenges they face, like you said, with this course of kind of like a roller coaster where they're improving and then they have setbacks and like you said, intubated and extubated and reintubated and just this whole process of things that go on in the NICU and to see them go home and get discharged and grow up is, is so amazing. Yeah. And I think too, for anyone listening who is still like in nursing school or is maybe they started, but they're not like sure about their specialty or someone switch thinking of switching like the NICU. Yeah. There's a lot of tragedies too, but it's also a place mm-hmm. with a lot of hope. And when I first started nursing, I didn't really think a lot about how seeing a lot of death could impact me. But like once I switch from my first job to working in the NICU, like it just felt so right. And it just feels so good to send those babies home. So for anyone listening, like thinking, oh, like I might like that too. Like, yeah, definitely look into it. Being a NICU nurse is awesome. Yes, absolutely. Um, now, like this is not a podcast about the NCLEX. People talk about it a lot. So I don't want to go like super in depth with it. And I know you have YouTube videos on it, but just really quick for anyone um, listening, how did you study for the NCLEX? And then how did you find your job? Yeah. Um, So for the NCLEX, I used basically like every resource I could get my hands on for the most part. Um, My school provided us with Kaplan. So that's who we used. I know some other schools use like ATI and other programs, but Kaplan is who we use. So I did use some of that. I also got UWorld um, on my own and used that. And then I also used Mark Klemek. He makes these like audio recordings. I think you can find them on Google, but he actually used to write for the NCLEX. And I guess years ago, um, the NCLEX came to him and were like, hey, so you can either help students study for the test or you can write the questions. You can't do both. So he decided to continue helping students study. Um, so I think he does like in-person, in-person lectures, but I just listened to his audio recordings. And then, um, like you said, I do have a whole video that's much more in depth on this, but I kind of just created a little calendar for myself and did X amount of questions each day um, leading up to the test. Cool. And then how did you find your job? I found it just through Google. Um, I just looked up basically every hospital in my area that I could and ones that had, you know, level three, level four NICUs. We have a lot of level two NICUs here in Colorado, but not a lot of level three and level four. And I knew that's where I preferred to start as a new grad, just to feel like I was somewhere that's busy and I get a lot of experience and um, just experience under my belt. So I looked more into level three and four and basically just applied to every NICU that I could in our state <laughs> for the most part, just to kind of spread myself out and not put all my eggs in one basket, just because I do know, you know, NICU is competitive. But yeah, I just found it through Google. I just went to my hospital's website and went to like their nursing page and then the careers page um, and just went from there. Did you ever think about taking a job outside of the NICU during this process? I did. I think COVID definitely changed things for that, especially um, just because so many new grad programs got canceled out here. I don't know about other states, but in Colorado, for the most part, as a new grad, you kind of have to start in a new grad program. Um, Most hospitals, if you try and apply to a regular position, they'll be like, oh, like go to our new grad page and apply there. They don't really let you just apply to normal positions. And a lot of those programs were getting canceled left and right. Um, And like I said, there are only a few level three and level four NICUs in the state. 
So the fact that some of those were disappearing, I definitely considered it. And I did interview for a few med surge jobs um, and I was considering taking them, but I really wanted NICU and really wanted to hold out for it. So yes and no. I think if the time came and I didn't get the NICU job, I don't know if I would have taken a med surge job or if I would have tried to have waited until like the next cohort of new grads um, a few months later. I don't know. I don't know what I would have done. But yeah, I did consider it for sure. Yeah, I just wanted to ask because I think that's kind of like a issue that a lot of people are coming across right now. New grads like entering is like, do I take a job in a unit that mm-hmm. I don't really want to stay on or do I hold out for that type of unit that like I trained on that I know that I'm really comfortable in? Right. I, I lean towards the side of holding out. Yeah. Because especially for the NICU, NICU nursing is like very specific. Yeah. And there's some stuff that you could do in med surge that would apply. But like even for my unit, for people who switch from med surge, they still have to go through a 16 week orientation just like I do because like there's just so many new things. Um, I'm going to backtrack actually a little bit to nursing school. Okay. um, Because I also hear from a lot of people who know like from the start that they really want to do a certain specialty as they enter nursing school. And I know like the NICU is very specific of a specialty. Um, Mm -hmm. So as you were in nursing school, how did you tailor your experience to help prepare you for NICU nursing? I think the biggest things, because I mean, obviously you can't choose much of your clinical settings, right? Mm -hmm. Like you have to do so much med surge and adults and all of that. But I think if you're going into it knowing you want NICU, at least for me, the biggest things were my L&D clinical. Um, Some people get a NICU rotation in their L&D clinical, like it's all wrapped up into one. I did not get that. Some of my classmates did, but at the hospital I was at, they didn't allow that. So I think just for labor and delivery and then for PEDS, um, either of those clinical rotations, just really absorbing as much information as I could, asking as many questions as I could, kind of making it known that like if there's a way I could somehow shadow the NICU for a few hours or sneak by there or something, um, I put it out there that I wanted to. So like one day in my labor and delivery clinical, like I said, they didn't allow us into the NICU, but I had a mom that I was with her through the laboring process. Her baby got taken to the NICU and we wheeled her through the NICU on the way over to the postpartum recovery unit. Um, so just walking through, like that was exciting <laughs> to just see what it looked like. Um, but I think really just trying to get as much as you can out of those L&D clinicals and those PEDS clinicals, because they are going to all relate back. Even if you're not working in labor and you're working in NICU, they're still related. Like we still, you know, work with the moms and get mom's history. And that is still correlated back to the baby and their course and their stay in the NICU. Um, so I think just trying to get as much out of those clinical rotations as I could, whether I was actually present in the NICU itself or not, was the biggest thing. Those are really great tips. Thank you so much. Yeah. I'm going to switch gears a little bit and just kind of generally open it. Let's talk about COVID. How has COVID been for you? Um, Like from a work standpoint? From everything. Whatever. Okay. Just tell me how it's affected you. Okay. Um, well, I mean, the start of it was right around graduation. Mm-hmm. Like everything hit the fan. Quarantine started, I think, what everyone says, like March 14th or something like that. Um, when it first started, I was, I think, similar to everyone kind of questioning what it was and what was going on. And nobody was really sure what was happening. 
And then when it hit the United States, it was like, oh, okay, we're stopping everything. We're shutting down. And so graduation being canceled and things like that in the moment were pretty, you know, kind of devastating, to be honest, because you work so hard through nursing school to have that taken away. And over the course of the last year, I feel like it's definitely just become part of the norm, which is unfortunate. But I think a lot of people have just recognize that that's just part of life now. Um, and so coming to terms with things changing like that has definitely gotten easier over time. But at the time, it was hard. Um, it wasn't easy. From a work standpoint, it really hasn't been bad. I don't know about your NICU, but I think we're really fortunate that COVID doesn't seem to affect our population the same way it does adults or even peds patients, um, which is great. I don't think we've really had any, I could be wrong, but I don't think we've really had any cases where I'm at. Um, so that's been good from a work standpoint. And then from a social standpoint, like normal life, it's kind of just, I don't know, I've gotten used to it, but I just have like, I feel like sometimes it's hard to work in a specialty and work in the NICU where it's not impacting us because I feel heavily for med surge nurses because med surge nurses, even pre-COVID, like they are the heart of nursing. They work so hard in such a different way than we work. And not to say we don't work hard because we do and we are busy, but I really think med surge nurses are like, when you think of difficult nursing and tired nurses and being busy, you think of them. And so for them to have typically been in that role and then to add on all of this with COVID is just so much more. I can't even imagine. Um, and so in some ways it's difficult being in a specialty because I feel like I wish I could be doing more, but I'm, I'm also so grateful that it's not affecting our population the way it does. Cause I can't imagine what that would look like in preemies either. Yeah. I mean, the thing about don't feel guilty because the thing is, if you're not and then if you during doing your job, someone else needs to be, you know? Yeah, like that's true. That's true. It's like someone's got to be on the NICU. <laughs> someone has like, to take care of the baby. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. Um, and I think, you know, you strike me as someone who's really meant to be a NICU nurse. And I feel like you feel that way, too. Um, so you should be where you're meant to be. <laughs> so I would agree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I, yeah, I agree. It's also, it's definitely different our experience than the med surge experience. Anyway, um, moving forward with your orientation experience. Um, tell me about your orientation. I know I kind of felt a little creepy because I, before this interview, I like went back and stalked your YouTube <laughs> and then I was like, wait, well, technically this isn't creepy because she wants people to watch it. Right. So like, this is true. That is kind of the point. <laughs> so like, it's not creepy that I know all this stuff about you, but, um, I know <laughs> that like you oriented, you tell me if I'm wrong, but I think from your videos, you had an orientation with level two and then you were independent with level two only. And then you did some classes and now are you orienting again with level three? Are you independent with level three? And you also like, rotating days and nights like for blocks of a few weeks tell me tell me about yes. what's your orientation experience yeah I mean all of the above with what you <laughs> said but yeah so when I first started um we did six weeks of orientation to level two so it was three weeks on days three weeks on nights and then we do rotate um so when we're not on orientation every eight weeks we're rotating between days and nights so eight weeks of days, eight weeks of nights, and just back and forth. So I did six weeks of orientation to level two, which consisted of 
Um, it was six weeks on the floor, but before those six weeks, we had a week's worth of classes. They were every day, um, and we had different people come in. So specialists, neonatologists, nurse practitioners, surgeons, um, nutrition, pharmacy, basically any specialty you could think of that works with our population, came in and gave lectures on, you know, different conditions you might see in level twos or the way you feed a level two baby, um, ways you position them, things like that. So we had a whole week's worth of classes specifically on level two babies and then six weeks of orientation um, to level two babies. So three weeks days, three weeks nights. And then we were by ourselves. I want to say it was somewhere between eight to 12 weeks um, independently working with just level two kiddos. And then now I'm actually finishing up my orientation for level three, but it was very similar. We had a week's worth of classes again where it was focused more on what you see in level three, the types of conditions you see, um, just much more unstable, critical babies and everything that comes with that. And then six weeks of orientation. So same thing, three weeks of dates, three weeks of nights. And then um, I'm actually finishing up my last week right now. So once I'm done with this week of orientation, I will be independent for good. I'll have no more orientation to do. And I can basically take anything at any point. Um, There are some certain types of babies that they don't give us until we've been there for about a year that are just a little bit more complex based on their diagnosis. But otherwise, I should be able to take a standard level two or level three, um, unless it was something, you know, out of the norm. But yeah, so once I'm on my own, I can just kind of do whatever assignment they want to give me from here on out. Oh, okay. That's really interesting. And like, I'm going to delve into some like NICU like comparison and experience talk here just because I think it's so cool to hear from someone who's orienting on a different level three NICU and to kind of like compare like how we do things and our experiences yeah but if anyone listening if you're like not a NICU nurse like don't care <laughs> we're gonna be talking a lot of NICU stuff in the next <laughs> few minutes so feel free to like zoom, fast forward ahead um but for my orientation and it's funny because I remember we started talking we started around the same time And I've been off orientation for like a month and a half now. And I was like, wait, like, shouldn't Abby like be off too? Like, where did we Mm -hmm. uh, like diverge? So what happened with me, my orientation was we did eight weeks on days with a preceptor. And then Mm -hmm. we had six weeks also on days, but they called it like an orientation pause. Um, But we could only take... I guess they, we haven't really assigned our baby's levels on our NICU, but okay. they were like nothing like higher respiratory need than CPAP. So okay. we did like a pause where we did six weeks with like CPAP babies or below. And we always had like a resource nurse in the room who was our like former preceptor who had their own assignment, but they were in the pod with us. Oh, actually... Okay, let me finish. Then I'm going to ask you the next question. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> and then after that orientation pause ended, we I did two more weeks on days reorienting. And this time we were orienting to more complex babies who had like drips, were on vents, um, and also mm-hmm. admissions. And admissions, that's like, in my opinion, like the hardest part about being in the NICU because like we're – like we're in like a community setting where like LND is like also a part of the hospital. So like mm-hmm. a mom will come in, go into pre- preterm labor, give birth, you know, sometimes we know about it, but sometimes it just like happens. And then the baby's born anytime. You don't know when to expect it. A baby just comes in 
and the baby might be like fine it might be we call them like you know a sugar baby who has like low glucose Mm -hmm. and with those types of babies like the respiratory status is fine we just need to work on feeding maybe get them an iv and give them like dextrose or it could be like a baby that's like super premature like you know 23 24 weaker needs to be ventilated gets really sick um so when you're in mission, you really need to kind of be a jack of all trades and know how to do anything and do it like kind of super fast so you can get that baby like stabilized like anytime it comes. Mm. So for that, I did two more weeks on days starting with that. Then I flipped to nights and I'm permanent nights. Most most okay. new grads hired on my unit, I think so far have been like permanent nights. And um, then for the next like six weeks, I continued to orient with like the ventilated babies, the admissions, the more acute babies. And then I finished my orientation, had like two weeks with a resource and now I'm just like independent. And so like, I'm kind of with you. There's no like set rule that like, I'm not allowed to get like a ventilated baby or I'm not allowed to be admission, but I think that mm-hmm. hasn't really happened yet. And I'm pretty sure it's because I'm still new and still like kind of figuring things out. Um, but right. I have been encouraged to once I have built up the confidence to like ask to be admission with a resource in the room or like have, you know, if I'm, I'm working one night and there's like a ventilated baby in my pod, like, you know, and I'm friendly with that nurse, like to talk to that nurse about that baby help out and then like maybe ask if we could like switch assignments the next night and like she could be my resource so like as I get ready that's like what I'm gonna do so yeah that's super cool that's definitely different than how we do it but it sounds great yeah I mean I think there's like you know both ways of doing the orientation are like great but it's like interesting for like anyone considering the NICU to kind of hear about like how things could go and how things kind of vary from unit to unit Oh, I forgot to mention, I also had classes, but they were all, like, at the beginning, like, before I got on the unit, which I kind of wish that I had, like, refresher classes before I started with, like, the ventilated babies, but I also, like, my preceptors were always, like, you know, very knowledgeable and kind of, it's a lot, like, the classes are helpful, but it's still a lot of learning on the job, so I felt, I felt pretty prepared for it. Um, I also wanted to ask you... Are you guys like in pods too, or do your babies have your own rooms? Yeah, so we're private rooms. Um, so no, we're not in pods. We have like what we call neighborhoods. They're basically hallways because um, our unit is like a, it's kind of laid out as like a capital H, I guess you could describe it as, or like a square almost. Um, so no, we're not in pods. We just have hallways and they're just private rooms. Oh, that's so interesting. I've always wondered what it's like being a NICU nurse, not in pods, because pods is all I know. And based for anyone listening that doesn't like know what the heck I'm talking about, for the way my NICU works, we have four pods. And in each pod, we'll have like, I don't know, 10, 12 babies. And depending on the acuity of the babies, we'll have a certain number of nurses in the room. Like if when I come to work, if I'm like a three to one, all three of my babies will be in the same pot. Um, but sometimes also like if you have a ventilated baby, like you're a one-to-one. Um, and our pods, I know some places like divide their pods by acuity. Our pods are not, which I also really like 
because I feel like I kind of get to still be involved with the care for the higher acuity babies, even if they're not like my assignment. Like the other night, I just like asked this one nurse if I could like draw her labs off of her baby's art line, just because I hadn't done that in a while. And like, I wanted a refresher. Oh, yeah. Um, So I feel like that has been very useful for pods. But also like, what do you do? How do you know when one of your babies is bradying? And you're in the other room. Um, so we, yeah, so we have central monitors. So our monitors in each room, um, we can link to any other baby in the hallway. So we could set it up to where I'll have, say I'm in, I don't know, room one, and I have another baby in room two. I can go onto the monitor that's in room one and set it up to be what they call a two patient view. So it'll show the baby in room one and the baby in room two on that one screen. So while I'm in one baby's room, I can be watching the other one um, at the same time. And then when you're not in any of the baby's room, like at the nurse's station, we have a central nurse's station. And then we have little, I guess you could call them like cubbies or alcoves that just have like one or two computers and at each of those alcoves is a central monitor that has every baby in that hallways um information like up on the screen so we can see everyone at all times like if they're rating or they're desatting or whatever's happening it's all like similar to a telly floor i guess um it's just all right there oh okay that's so interesting do you still have like for me so often the situation in my pod is i will just be like elbows deep in an isolate like doing something and my other baby (laughs) starts braiding and another nurse will like see it because everyone hears it like the alarm goes off and everyone in the pod hears it another nurse will see it see that oh there's Kelsey the new nurse who's elbows deep in another isolate right now let me get to it and we'll go over and help like the baby remember to have its heartbeat um (laughs) right oh for anyone listening that's like not in the NICU and doesn't really understand um newborn babies get sick like kind of the opposite in some ways that adults get sick like when a newborn is sick their temperature will be lower rather than higher um their heart rate will go down um so like a Brady you know it's when their heartbeat is low and you sometimes the baby in this this is like especially premature babies often tend to brady and when that happens like sometimes the baby will recover on their own but sometimes the nurse does need to go in and like give the baby a rub or some stimulation just to like help the baby to remember to you know have its heartbeat um so that's what what brady is but so do you ever have that where like maybe another nurse is like in the hub and they see that your baby's bradying or do you just kind of have to like be on your own to just like drop everything and run over um it's a combination so similar to how you were saying they don't do pods by acuity we do the same thing um so although they are private rooms they'll try and put like you know a less critical baby near a more critical baby so that say something was happening with the more critical baby um nurses that have less critical babies if nothing's going on with their kiddos they can be keeping an eye out or keeping an ear out which luckily having those central monitors at each computer station does really help because 
you know, everybody can see up on the screen what's happening. And for anybody that's not in the NICU, typically you can see when someone on the monitor, when someone is stimulating a baby because the tracing of their EKG monitor will just kind of start to look a little funky um, and weird. And that's typically because a nurse is in there, you know, rubbing their back or touching them or moving them around. So if you're not seeing that and you're seeing them continue to Brady, then yeah, typically another nurse will get up and pop their head in and go check. Um, but at the same time, that's not always the case. Sometimes everyone's busy and sometimes you just have to leave what you're doing as quickly as you can and get over there. But the goal is that, yeah, someone is always around. Um, yeah i mean we have those situations on busy days in the pods too even so it sounds like i'm glad i asked because i honestly just didn't know what that experience was but it sounds like it functions with the neighborhoods it functions kind of similarly to the way that pods function yeah it's just because um it's funny that you say that because our unit was actually a different unit before they moved locations and I guess before they were in pods. So I've spoken to some of the nurses that have been here for forever and they've explained the pod situation to me. And they said that they liked it because, you know, it's typically you and what is it, one other nurse. So I guess your little pod partner um, together, which is nice. So I think there's benefits to, to both, but um, the private rooms are also nice for the family's sake too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I don't know. There's definitely pluses and minuses to both. Um, Pods has been really good for me to learn because I can literally see what the other nurses are doing and how they're giving nursing care to their babies, which is cool. Um, Another question I wanted to ask you, um, I feel like NICU or not, even peds or not really, this is kind of like a common thing that happens with young nurses starting out but so often I will be taking care of a baby and their mom will be like okay where's my baby's nurse because I am just like young and small and not a mother and have you ever just kind of come across like the challenge of a mom like not fully trusting you yet (laughs) just because you're young and young looking and kind of small (laughs) yes yeah you I feel like more often than not I get the question of like do you have kids and I'm like no and that's when it's like oh but it's you know I think it just kind of depends um it also doesn't help I don't know what your guys's uniform policy is at your hospital but at our hospital we can wear anything that's kid friendly so a scrub top that's kid friendly or t-shirts that are kid friendly and I remember one night in particular I had my hair in like two braids so like double braid French braid, whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, like no makeup on because it's night shift and sometimes I don't want to wear makeup. And I had like a unicorn shirt on. So I was like, I'm really not helping myself out on the whole like not looking like a 12 year old situation. <laughs> and I'm like barely 5'2". So it just like wasn't a great look on my part. But it was funny um, just because the parents were great. But yeah, you kind of get the vibe of sometimes they're just like, well, like where are the older nurses at? But um I've never had anyone like question or have an issue with, but yeah, definitely. I get asked if I have children all the time, which is just kind of funny. You don't have to be a good parent to be a good Nikki nurse. Oh, I don't even get the, do you have children? I get the, I get the, you don't have children, do you? (laughs) Oh, you're like, well, thanks. But yeah, at first it like bothered me a lot when I did have like moms that, you know, kind of mistrusted me a little bit but then I started having younger moms and I feel like the moms like in their 20s like I can kind of get on their level 
Yeah, I completely agree. I think it definitely just depends on the age, too, because if you're close to the mom's age, yeah, they can relate to you in a different way. Um, And I think, too, like once you start, you know, working with them and educating them and they see your skills and see that you're capable, then I think it's easier. But by the same regard, I think parents are just nervous sometimes, too, you know, especially when their baby's sick. The NICU's never anything anyone plans to happen or to have their baby go to. So to one, have that and just be nervous in general, um, adding us to the mix when they, you know, just question us based on our looks too, just adds to the, to the stress. But I think over time, once they see that you're doing a good job and they recognize that like, okay, you do know a lot of stuff, (laughs) um, then it definitely gets better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I wanted to ask what has been different than you expected about being a NICU nurse? Um, I think I honestly had a fairly good understanding of what the NICU was when I came into it, mostly because I did my senior practicum in the NICU. So that gave me a lot of exposure to it. And I really used my senior practicum to decide like, okay, let's make sure the NICU is something I really want because, you know, it is so specialized. I wanted to make sure that, yes, this is an area I think I'm going to like before I go into it. Um, So I think there's not a lot that I wasn't anticipating, but I will say that my hospital is different. We, the delivery service um, is at a separate hospital and anytime babies are born, they have a team over there that can kind of stabilize kids for the most part. So if kids just need like a little bit of dextrose or a little bit of care and would, you know, probably come into the NICU for an hour or two and then pop out, they will stay over there with that team. It's more if they need to be admitted, they're a preemie, we're expecting them to stay longer. That's when um, they will come over to us. So for me, a big thing that I miss that I think is different is going to deliveries at the unit that I did my practicum in we one of the NICU nurses would be assigned the role of transition every day so regardless of if a delivery was high risk or not a NICU nurse went to every delivery just in case something were to happen um, the NICU nurse was there and trained to handle it not that L&D nurses aren't but that's just how the hospital ran it so I really liked going to deliveries and being a part of transition um, and bringing the babies over and and at my hospital, we just don't, we just don't do that. So I think that's more unit specific um, and different, but I will say some of my came from med surge. Some things that they have said that they weren't expecting was that like, especially with level two babies, which for people that aren't in NICU, I didn't do a great job of explaining this earlier, but level two is more babies that are closer to discharge. They have low oxygen requirements. Um, so CPAP or less, they don't require a whole lot. They're typically like close to going home. They're relatively stable. So um, some of the nurses that I work with that came from Med Surge said that one thing they didn't really realize about the NICU is that like babies that are healthier and closer to going home still have to eat and change their diaper and sleep every three hours, kind of like a normal newborn would, which was funny to me because I'm like, oh, I guess you're right. Like to some people, they don't realize that those are all the things that a baby still needs. Like, yes, we're in an ICU, but a baby still needs to have their diaper changed and their temperature checked and have a bottle or, you know, a feeding going or whatever. So I think that it would be different to people that, you know, are thinking of the NICU as an ICU setting where we're doing all this crazy stuff, which sometimes we are, but other times it's feeding and rocking and hanging out with babies too. (laughs) So it kind of just depends. Yeah. And I was going to, one question I was going to ask, then I realized it's such a hard question because I don't even have a good answer is what is your favorite type of assignment? Because, and then I was thinking about it and the other night I had the best night with some really adorable 
like feeder grower babies. It was a three to one. And I had like the best 4am cuddles with one of them because her mom didn't get it in that day. And she needed a little love. So I just cuddled her for like half an hour. And it was just so wonderful. But then I also really like like the critical thinking and um, all of the coordination and nursing care involved with the more acute babies too. So I honestly don't even know. And I bet you probably feel the same. Um. (laughs) I feel the exact same way. Like there are times that I, just like you said, I, since we have private rooms, the rooms have TVs um, with like movies preloaded onto them. So there are sometimes if nothing's really going on, babies are sleeping, everyone's doing well. And I'm in an assignment where they're all, feeder growers, which are stable babies, just trying to learn to eat and grow and go home. Um, If I'm with them, like you said, I'll just kind of take one and cuddle them for 30 minutes or so. And it's nice. It's fun (laughs) to just kind of sit there and hang out and snuggle babies for a while. But by the same token, babies with drips or on oscillators or all of that stuff. um, It's very interesting too, and to critically, critically think and to watch how quickly babies can flip too and just change within the matter of a shift. They're, you know, suddenly sick when they weren't before and the critical thinking and management that comes with that is cool too. So yeah, it's hard to decide. I like, I like both, which is funny because I feel like a lot of people prefer one or the other, but I kind of like everything right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, same. Um, Do you guys have nursing assistants? We do, but they, I don't know. Do you guys have them? No. And I was asking because I actually saw a post on Instagram yesterday explaining what nursing assistants do in the NICU. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so interesting because I didn't know. And I just do all of these for my babies. Yes, exactly. I think I saw that exact same post. um, And I was thinking about that, too. So we do have them, but they cannot do what was listed in that post. So for anyone that doesn't know the post that we are referring to, it was um, some techs can do like weighing babies and vitals and feeds. Um, I forget what else was on there. But for us, they help stock. So they stock everything. Um, Since we have private rooms every baby has their own supply cart like in the room that's locked that's filled with like everything you could need basically so all the feeding supplies all the IV start supplies um blankets what else like um stuff for labs there's pretty much anything you could need while in the room is there so they will fill that up they will like change out like suction canisters and things um, but for us, they don't do they don't do the weights, they don't do vitals, they don't feed, um, they don't do baths. I wish they could do more. I think that would be amazing. And like for me, back when I was in nursing school, if that was an option that I could have done, that would have been so incredible to get that hands-on experience with little ones. But no, for us, yeah, they're there, but they they can't do um, a whole lot. Okay, interesting. Yeah, we don't have any. So I was like, wow, someone does all of these that like what do you do I know. <laughs> right I know I'm like wait somebody can come feed your baby for you <laughs> what do you mean and weigh them what do you mean yeah. um okay uh, going back to kind of just like overall your transition into nursing um what were some of the biggest struggles that you faced and what did you learn and how did you overcome them I think for me in the beginning I had anxiety and didn't realize I had anxiety. I've never really had anxiety in my life before. Um, And so I think that I had it and didn't notice that that's what it was until it was overwhelming me. And so I think some of the biggest things were just like before the shift, not knowing what kind of an assignment I was going to get or not knowing 
you know, who was going to be in my hallway with me if I could, you know, ask for help or, you know, if they were going to be busy or what was that was going to look like. Um, I also really struggled with my interaction with the parents. I think being young and being new and not having all the answers and having parents that come to you with a million and one questions and not having the answers to that was very overwhelming for me because I wanted them to trust me in my care of their child, right? But at the same time, acknowledge that like, okay, I don't have all the answers and I need to go ask someone for them um, was difficult. So I think more than anything for me, the social pieces were more difficult to overcome and to navigate, which was interesting because I wasn't really anticipating that. Um, but yeah, I think that that was where the biggest challenges was just trying to navigate the interaction with parents and the education piece of it all and feeling like, okay, I can provide education even when I don't know everything and I'm not going to know everything and it's okay to not know everything. Um, and I think there's a lot of stuff in nursing and, you know, in the NICU specifically too, but in nursing as a whole that just comes with time. You get more comfortable with time and you get used to things with time and sometimes it's hard in the beginning or at least it was for me to be like okay I need to just recognize that like this isn't something I'm going to master in a day and I need to give myself grace in that um and just recognize that like yeah some nurses are better at certain skills but they've been doing this for 20 years and I've just been here for two weeks so I need to give myself time to get used to it um I think was the biggest thing so for overcoming it it was really just working hard to go into work with like a good mental space and I would like listen to a podcast or listen to music or things that just put me in a good mood and try and mentally think like okay it's going to be a good shift like let's think of all the things that could go right and how it could be positive and it's not it doesn't have to be bad you know I don't need to make up these scenarios in my head that are just going to cause me to stress out and then also really developing a routine outside of work, I think was something I struggled with too. Um, when I was in nursing school, I was really good about being consistent about going to the gym. The gym is something that I love to do and helps me clear my mind. And so in school, I was great about it. And then when I started work, I just like, I don't know what I did, but it just dropped off for me for some reason. So um, I think really reincorporating that and self-care and trying to find a routine with that was huge in managing all of that anxiety too. And now I'm in a much better spot, but it took giving myself time to figure out what works for me to kind of get past all that. Yeah, absolutely. I totally relate to, to the parent interaction anxiety. I think the worst of it for me was when I was on my like eight week orientation pause. Cause it was just like all of a sudden I was in the pod with my preceptor. We both had assignments mm-hmm. and I've been here for eight weeks, but she's been here for 12 years. And like how, like if I had a baby in the NICU, I would choose her to be my nurse and not me. And right. every day I just kind of like, was like, I felt sorry for the parents of my babies. Um, so it's hook. It's hook. Well, I had to kind of like build my confidence in that in those days and just be like, you're a good nurse because you know who to ask with your questions. Like you're a good nurse because you're gonna be extra careful because you know you don't know. Um, So that's kind of what I had to tell myself. Um, And then that's like also, like I wouldn't say that word for word. And like, I didn't try to go out of my way to let the parents know that I didn't have that much experience. But um, when parents, you know, had questions or like seemed anxious, I was like, I'm going to make sure I get an answer to this for you. And then I followed through. Right. I did. 
Yeah. And I think that's great. I think the biggest thing is just being willing to say like, you know, I don't know, but let me go find out and I'll come back with an answer opposed to either giving an answer when you don't know or not being willing to seek it out. I think that's great. Yeah. Um, when I was struggling the worst with my anxiety as a new grad, I felt like no one else was going through the symptoms and experiencing it in the way that I was. And I felt just kind of like alone and weird and ashamed. So, and I know this was kind of like your first time dealing with anxiety. If you don't mind going into like how you knew that you were having anxiety and what that anxiety like looked like for you day to day, like what your symptoms were, like how you were affected by it. I think that for me, the biggest things were I felt like I couldn't breathe. And I know that's so strange. And like, I should have recognized that that was a problem. But it was when I was driving to work, I would feel like an elephant was like sitting on top of me and like I couldn't get a deep breath. And that was the biggest thing was like, I just felt this overwhelming sense of like, I can't get a deep breath. Like what is wrong? My heart is racing. And it wasn't until... I did my mentorship with Lacey, which I think you did too, um, that I was talking to her and I was like, yeah, so she asked me, she was like, do you struggle with pre-shift anxiety? And I was like, no, no at all. And then the next day I was like, oh, what is this feeling? Like I recognize that, yeah, I am having this weight of an elephant sitting on my chest. And I told her that and she was like, yeah, that's like classic anxiety. And I was like, oh, Um, but that was, that was definitely the biggest one was just feeling like I couldn't get a deep breath. I like will kind of mess with my cuticles when I'm nervous. Like that's just like a nervous habit that I have Um, or just like moving my fingers around is a nervous habit that I have. So I think noticing that those were coming out in me was, were the biggest things, which is funny because they've probably been there my whole life. I just didn't recognize them for what they were. And it's sometimes after um, because there were a few instances during my orientation that we have this reporting system where it could be something as simple as like patient handoff wasn't great or um, a, you know, if a patient's ID band isn't on them, you could report that or it could be anything from very minor to very serious. And anytime anything happens, you can write it up. Um, it's just as, it's just a way for a hospital to improve safety, but it's not anything wrong. It's not that you do anything bad and written up for your trouble. It's just the lack of safety outcomes in the hospital. So when I was on orientation, a few of those things occurred, which were fine. They weren't, they were honestly things that weren't even my fault, that my name was just attached to the documentation and they check with like every nurse that was there that day that this thing happened. Um, And so those, I would get notified about those on my days off, like a charge nurse would call me or I would get an email about it. And that is what started to give me anxiety. So it was never that I had anxiety while I was at work, but it was really the anxiety taking over before my shift and after my shift um, and just feeling stressed that I was like constantly waiting for something to go wrong or to get a phone call or, you know, to just, I was just kind of sitting on edge all the time. And it was really messing with my days off more than anything. It wasn't necessarily the patient load or what was happening with my babies. It was my time off that was stressful. Yeah, um, totally relate to that. And thanks so much for like being vulnerable and sharing that because I feel like probably there's someone listening who does have those types of symptoms and feelings, but maybe doesn't realize that it's anxiety or maybe feels like they're the only one who feels that way. 
So yeah. hopefully by you sharing your story, maybe it can make someone else like feel a little bit less alone, which is why I make this podcast to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, hope so, because I think I love that you made this podcast. I just have to say, because I think being a new grad is so hard and it's not talked about enough to be honest. I think school doesn't do the best job at preparing you, or at least I didn't feel as prepared for how hard it really was. Um, So I think just knowing there are other new grads out there that are experiencing the same thing and it's all normal and it's okay is so helpful. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, Yeah. like I'm so excited to be helping out people in this way. And it's really fun for me too because I love meeting everyone and being inspired by people. Are there anything that you're still struggling with today? Um, I think it's getting better, but I think that just like getting more comfortable with dealing with the more complex babies. Cause I got, you know, I got to be on my own for a while with feeder growers and level two and felt comfortable with that. I think as I finish orientation for level three, the biggest thing is just, you know, adapting to everything that comes with that, whether they're intubated or they're on drips and managing everything. And especially being on nights, I know that I rotate, but um, after, so we rotate for a year and then after our first year we're on nights straight. And so I think something that's a little different than comes with nights is knowing when to call your provider or when to just call the charge or, you know, when to take it up a notch and call the NP and then call the Neo and kind of go from there. Um, I think those things are the things that I'm like, I'm just going to need time to get used to and to experience more. And I'm sure with every unit and I'm sure with yours too, it seems like babies kind of come in waves or like in pairs or in groups of three where we'll have a bunch of critical kiddos and then we'll have all feeder growers or a bunch of feeder growers and then a bunch of critical kiddos out of nowhere. So it's kind of one of those things that you don't know how to handle until you're experiencing it more frequently. Um, So I think just getting more time with that stuff, I will feel better about, but it's definitely an adjustment from, you know, your stable, low flow, feeder grower (laughs) yeah totally and same thing with the waves for sure um walk me through your like routine like just in your day-to-day life like as a nurse on the NICU like um before and during and after your shift days nights when do you eat and sleep cool yeah so days and nights are very different um I think on I'll start with days On days, I used to try and work out before work, and I just realized that I no longer can wake up that early like I used to, so I don't do that anymore, which kind of just is something I'm still working to figure out because, like I said, I really enjoy going to the gym, but I'm feeling like when I'm on days, it just doesn't happen the way I want it to because I'm exhausted before work and I'm exhausted after work. So I'm still navigating that, but typically I'll just kind of get up in the morning and shower and just get ready right away. I'll sleep as long as I can, honestly. And then when I get to work, the routine is pretty much the same for both days and nights, but I'll kind of touch on both at the same time. And then I'll go back and talk about um, my routine before and after for night shift. But for days, so you get there, we have huddle in the morning, which is just where we stand in a circle and like we have a big old whiteboard that we just go over you know any changes that are happening policy changes how many babies are on the unit who our practitioners are who our nurse who our neo is um and then we get our assignment so we get our assignment you go to wherever your assignment is and get report from the nurse sometimes it's one nurse that has all your babies if you have one two or three sometimes it's multiple nurses so it kind of just depends so 
I'll get report and then we do a two minute scrub where we wash our hands for two minutes. So do that. And then um, we just have some sanitizing supplies that we use to wipe down each patient room. And while I do that, I will look at all their safety checks, which safety checks are making sure the code sheet is correct. It's the right baby. It's updated with their most current weight. Um, it's been signed off on because we have whoever puts up the new one verifies that all the information is correct before it's put up. So check that. Um, check that they have a bag and mask if we ever needed to give them like blow by or CPAP or any type of extra oxygen. That's there. Um, check their suction canister, make sure that's ready. And then obviously it just depends on the baby. So if they have drips going or, you know, an IV pump going, you would do your pump check. So just make sure everything's running at the rate it's intended to be running at. Everything matches the baby. Um, depending on what their oxygen level is, checking their oxygen, if they're on oxygen or if they're on a vent, what their FiO2 is um, and all those things. And then I will go back to my computer once I've done that for each of my babies. Oh, and I'll sanitize the room. So we just wipe down any, we call them high touch surfaces. So anything that we touch a lot. So like the warmer for milk, the fridge, um, the computer, there's a little like keyboard in there that updates their little like whiteboard because our whiteboards are electronic. Um, so wipe that down, the stethoscope, any of the pumps, just clean everything essentially. And then obviously take a peek at your baby and make sure they don't look like they need anything urgently or right now. So then I would go back to my computer and just kind of look over my orders, look over my MAR, which I try to do that while getting reports simultaneously, but sometimes it doesn't work out that way. So I'll do that then. And then it just depends on when care times are for the babies from there. So for people that don't know, the NICU is very routine for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, we have some places call them care times. Some places call them touch times. It kind of just depends on your unit. But there are any time that we're putting hands on the baby. So every baby, typically if they're a feeder grower, they're a stable kiddo. It's every three hours. So um, a child may be on what we call an 81125, which is touch times of 8 a.m., 11 a.m., 2 p.m., 5 p.m., so every three hours. Some kiddos that are less stable will be every four hours, so you would do like an 8124, so 8 a.m., noon, and 4. And with each touch time, um, or at least with the first one, you do a really thorough full head-to-toe assessment, listen to their heart, their lungs, their belly, measure their girth. Um, do all that stuff. If they have any like IV sites or tubes or anything, you check all of those and then you'll do, you'll check their temperature, you'll change their diaper and you'll do their feeding. So whether their feeding is through a tube in their nose or in their mouth or by bottle, it really just depends on the baby. Um, So you'll feed them. And then of course, if any meds are due, you would do those too. And you do that for all your babies. So whether you have one baby or you have three babies, if you have three babies, it can be very busy because you'll have one baby that's due at 8 a.m., a baby that's due at 8.30, a baby that's due at 9, and then you have a break from 9.30 to like 10.45 to catch up on all your charting because your first baby starts over again at 11, and it's just this whole kind of circle of diapers and temperatures and feeding and sleep, um, opposed to with more critical babies, you may not be doing as much hands-on with them. It kind of just varies based on their condition and what's going on, or you might be in there more. Um, if they're sicker. So it really just depends. So that's kind of what the day looks like doing cares every three to four ish hours, just depending on the kiddo. And then on days, it is a little bit different because that's when like parents typically come in on days, they can come in on nights. I don't know what your unit's policies are, but um, at ours, they have 24 
the baby so they can come in whenever they want to. And since they're private rooms, they can sleep there if they want to. So there's potential parents are there on nights, but typically not. It kind of sometimes we'll get parents that stay overnight, but for the most part, a lot of them go home. So you're more apt to see parents during the day. Um, so interactions with them, education with them, if there are any procedures happening, those will happen during the day. So if a baby's getting their eyes checked for ROP, that'll happen during the day. Circumcisions are during the day. Um, surgeries are during the day. So all of that stuff. Sometimes speech therapy um, and nutrition and pharmacy and um, occupational therapy, those people will want to come around and work with the babies too. So kind of intermingling your care when they're there as well and kind of coordinating around everything you have to do with your feedings and your meds and all of that, um, interacting with them as well. And then we have formal rounds during the day, which are typically like somewhere between 10 a.m. and noon. It kind of just depends on how many babies are on the unit and how long rounds take. But formal rounds consist of the nurse practitioner, the neonatologist, um, nutrition, pharmacy, respiratory, and then if there's anything unique going on with the baby, if surgery's consulting or anything like that, those people will come as well. Um, and we just kind of discuss the baby and what's going on, similar to rounds on any other unit. We just kind of discuss the patient and what's happening and what their day's gonna look like and what our plan is moving forward. And then you just complete cares all throughout the day. Um, and that's pretty much it. And then try and take a lunch somewhere in there and try and take a break somewhere in there. But it kind of just depends on the day, what time that can happen. I prefer to eat later in the day, like closer to uh, like somewhere between two and four, which is pretty late. Most people eat way earlier than that, at least on my unit. But I like it because I, by the time I'm done with my lunch, I typically just have my last set of cares due. So by like five or six o'clock, it's my next round of cares, um, depending on how many babies I have. But I'll just eat and then have my last round of cares and then I clean up the room and I give report and I go home. So it feels really quick if I push my lunch off. It feels like the last segment of the shift goes quicker. Um, so that's kind of what days looks like. And then for nights is pretty much the same thing. The only differences are that on nights you have to get the baby's weight. So in that first round of cares, when you do your full head to toe assessment, it'll be um, an assessment and then you'll measure their girth like you would on days, but you'll also check their weight. So I would do that, which you either have like a separate scale or some of the beds like the isolates have built in scales. So you can do use that, which is nice. Um, and then on nights, we also do all the lab draws are on nights as well. So it just kind of depends. Typically, they're around like 4 or 5 a.m. is when we do them. So you get really good at doing laps on nights. Um, so that's good. But that's really the biggest differences on nights is that parents aren't around for the most part. Sometimes they stay, but typically not. And then formal rounds doesn't really happen. The nurse practitioners will come around sometimes a neonatologist, but it's typically just the NP will come by and just pop their head in and see if you need anything. But there's no like formal everybody. We discuss the whole patient thing. It's kind of just, do you need anything right now or through the night? No. Okay, bye. And then um, none of those extra services come around at nights. So it's just a different flow on nights. It's much the word that I try not to use when I'm at work, quiet. Um, it's much quieter <laughs> on nights, which is nice. Like if you want to sit and cuddle babies, you definitely have more time, especially if parents aren't there. That's awesome. And I feel like you just have more time to look things up and really dive into your patient, patient and research them and like research their conditions. On days, you don't really have that time, or at least I typically don't. 
you do have more time though to ask doctors questions because you get that exposure to formal rounds and you can ask and kind of get their take on everything that's happening. So that's nice too. But I think those are the biggest differences. I tend to eat the same time, whether it's days or nights, I try and push it off pretty much as late as I can without being absolutely starving. Um, (laughs) When it comes to eating at work, I tend to just snack, especially on nights. I really don't, I found that I don't do well eating a full meal. It like leaves me feeling kind of sick. On nights, I also try and cut my caffeine off by like midnight or so, which is early. Sometimes I'm struggling and need it, but for whatever reason, I feel like the caffeine and food too, like at weird times, too much food will just leave me feeling kind of gross. Um, so I try to avoid that. And then for my days off on nights, my days off or like my pre-shift, post-shift are much different for night shift because I'm not a great daytime sleeper. So it kind of depends on if you're somebody who needs like your full eight to 10 hours of sleep or if you don't. If you do, then this probably isn't the best suggestion for you, but I really don't. I function best on like anywhere from like four to six and a half hours of sleep. So typically if it's before a night shift, like my first night, that's always the hardest one because I just don't sleep well going into it. And I know that about myself. Some people can nap all day and they're great. So typically I'm just not that way. Um, So typically for my first night, I'll try and sleep in as long as I can in the morning. So, which for me is like maybe nine o'clock. That's very late for me. So I'll sleep in as long as I can and then I'll get up. I won't drink any caffeine, coffee, like nothing. I'll just try and make myself as tired as possible. So I'll like either run errands if I need to or clean the house or go to the gym or whatever to make myself tired. And then I'll try and take a nap from like one to four. And if I didn't go to the gym earlier, I go to the gym around like four in the afternoon, come home, shower, um, go to work. I leave for work by like six, six thirty ish. It just depends. And then when I get off work, um, from night shift, it depends if I'm working again, like another night, or if it was just a one and done, if I'm working again, I'll come home. Sometimes I'll eat. Sometimes I want to just depends on how I'm feeling. And then I'll try and go to sleep as quickly as possible. I like keep the house as dark as I can and sometimes just try and go right to sleep. And sometimes I can sleep till like two or three in the afternoon. Sometimes I only make it till like noon, which is really sad because I go to sleep by like 9 a.m. and sleep till noon, which is only like three or so hours, which is not great. Um, So I'll sleep as long as I can, which sometimes is better than others. And then kind of the same thing, I'll get up and depending on how late in the afternoon it is, how much time I have, I'll either get up and do stuff and try and nap again later if I really didn't get much sleep to begin with or I'll just get up go to the gym um, come home shower and get ready to go to work if it's a day that I'm flipping so say I only worked one night and I'm not working again the next night I will come home and nap I'll let myself sleep till like anywhere from 11 to 1 and then I just force myself to get up and stay up as late as I can to kind of flip back to a day schedule um, just because I like to be on a day schedule on my days off. Some of my friends just stay on a night schedule for forever, which I think is crazy. But I that's just because I don't function well on it um, on my days off. So I like to flip back as quickly as I can. And just forcing myself to get up that first day really makes it pretty easy for me to flip back. But yeah, that's kind of my routine. Sorry, that was so long. <laughs> no, oh my gosh. Thanks so much that, for sharing all of that. That was, I think that was really helpful. Um a couple of things I wanted to chime in about just like the NICU and the NICU flow and assignments. Yeah. First of all, it was really cool hearing 
someone else describe my job, but oh, yeah. like not my job. <laughs> I was like, yep, 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 yep. Um, three to ones, like it's tricky because like you're like, oh, they're feeder growers. Like that's an easy assignment. But the thing about it is time management is crucial because heaven forbid a baby is sick or they decide they want labs or the baby has a low temp or the baby pulls out their NG tube three different times in one <laughs> hands-on. And then you're like, oh, yeah, you have a break from 9.45 to 10.30. Well, no, not if you have to play catch-up mm-hmm. with doing all of this stuff with your baby. So that's why, like, third ones can be as much of a challenge, just a different type of challenge, as, like, some of the higher acuity assignments on the NICU, for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing, another thing, like, we do – well – we also have 24-7 visit times, but because we have mother, baby, and L&D in the hospital, I feel like we, like, it's not uncommon to have parents visit at night because, like, mom might literally be upstairs gotcha. and then, you know, wakes up at three o'clock in the morning and is like, I want to see my baby. I want to hold my baby. So you kind of have to be ready at all times, no matter what shift for mom to come visit. That's cool. Um, we also night shift changes the there's like a few iv fluids that are changed during day shift but the majority of night shift changes our iv fluids so that's like we forgot that but yes that's a huge part is fluids yeah 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 so like i feel like it's like night shift there's kind of like extra set tasks Mm -hmm. that we know we have to do in our day versus day shift it's like you don't know which extra things are going to happen right but stuff might happen. Right. And you got to be prepared. But either way, it's like, yeah, like things are very scheduled, but also you have to be ready for like things to come and like disrupt your schedule. I was like telling someone else, like, I feel like sometimes like being a NICU nurse is kind of like playing like a video game where like you have to do like XYZ in ABCD amount of time. And then like, if like the baby does something that like adds extra time, like that's like a little hurdle you have to jump over. And then you have like three different like lives, which are like, you can ask someone for help. And then like, you know, if you don't get something done, then like, womp, 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 game over. (laughs) Yes. No, I completely agree. It's like constantly just waiting, hoping something doesn't mess up your flow. (laughs) Yeah. But it happens. But it's kind of fun. Like I look forward to the challenge. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so do you prefer days or nights? I kind of have a feeling. So, so for, I don't know, I'm really torn between both. I kind of go back and forth. Like when I'm on days, I love days and I'm like, oh, I never want to leave. And then when I'm on nights, I'm like, oh, I like nights. I never want to leave. So I don't know. I go back and forth because there are things that I like and don't like about both. So it really just depends. Um, on nights, I feel like I love that I have more time before my shift. I feel like I have this whole day to do all this stuff, which is great. Like I can go to the gym. Um, I can catch up on, like I can watch TV. I can do stuff at my house. I just feel like I have more time on nights before my shift, which is nice. But I don't like being on an opposite schedule from the rest of the world. I don't like that I don't get a ton of sleep. Um, that's not always fun. But I do really like the flow of nights. I like that I have more te- more time to kind of dive into my patient and research them and read their notes and really like look into what's happening and what has been happening. Like I will go back and read all, like I'll go far back and kind of see the start of their story and go forward if I have time. 
um, on days, I do like days too because of my sleep schedule. I like to feel like a normal human who's awake during the day. I love the parent side of it. So I know you mentioned um, with you guys having mom, baby, and L&D that moms can come over whenever. So because we're two different hospitals, the mom can come over. But I guess I think the unit on their side makes them leave by 7 p.m. So like night shift on their side won't bring them over, which is kind of sad. But um, so that's kind of what I like about days is I for sure see parents more often than I do on nights. And I really like the interaction with them and getting to educate them and like all the firsts that come with parents, like first time holding, first time bathing, first time giving them a bottle, like just doing all of that with the parents is really special. And I love that. And I don't get a whole lot of that on nights. Um, but I also like not being a zombie and being on days. So I don't know. I go back and forth. Right now I'm on nights and I'm really enjoying the flow of it. But I don't know. I feel like after a few weeks I'll be like, okay, I'm ready to go back. So we'll see. Yeah, same. I mean, I I wish that I could do like a schedule kind of like what you do where like you like flip back and forth after like a set mm-hmm. number of weeks. Just because I feel like there's certain things that happens on days and certain things that happens on nights. And, like, I want to be good at both, you know? Right. Right. Um, And I think my, like, night shift routine is, like, a little bit different than yours. I think I get try to get a little bit more sleep, like, when I'm back. Like, I try to, like, like, have a more (laughs) solid, like, block. Even though, like, honestly, I wake up like three or four times when I try to sleep during the day. But then I also like, I think I've murdered my circadian rhythm because I also like flip when I'm off too. And like, like last night I was trying to sleep during the night, but my body was just like, no, you're supposed to be awake right now. But then I woke up at like 9am and like, but I actually didn't even sleep that much because I was like awake at night. Like, I don't even know, but I wish, I wish I could just do like days and nights because my circadian rhythm is already dead. So why not just like do both anyway and <laughs> get both Keep it going? <laughs> but I do I would never like leave yeah. nights for forever because I do really, really love it. And it's a really great place to learn as a new grad too. Um I completely agree. Tell me a little bit about how you've managed your relationships outside of nursing. Who's a part of your support team and how do they help you cope? Oh, I love that. Um well, Connor, for sure. Connor is my husband. And I think I'm very fortunate that he's a firefighter. So he works shift work too. Um, he does 48 hour shifts. So two days at the fire station and then two days home. And then every so many days he gets like six days off. Um, so it, it's nice. It does make night working nights easier because he's already gone anyway. So that's helpful. Um, I struggle more when he's home and I have to leave at night. I think mostly because like at night is when like you eat dinner, you're watching TV, you're just like chilling before you go to sleep. I love that kind of quality time. Like I always have as a kid, the nighttime is like my favorite time with people. So when I have to leave for night shift, it is hard on me. I hate leaving. Um, So it's better to leave when he's not around. (laughs) So I'm very fortunate um, for that. I think that definitely helps me. But yeah, I think he's definitely part of my support system. I would say my family too. Um, But I think my other new grads as well, I think they're some of the people that are the only ones that are living it with you and experiencing it with you and know exactly what you're going through and like your patient population and the way your unit works and your other staff members. And they can just relate to you in a way that nobody else can. Um, So I think leaning on them is huge as well. And just recognizing like they're people you can trust and talk to 
um, and reach out to. And, you know, other new grads is great as well, but the, I think the ones you work with really understand it differently just because they're working exactly where you are at the same time, you know? Yeah, absolutely. For anyone listening who's like just started, I feel like one of my biggest struggles in my first, like, I like to say I had two new grad jobs because I did an orientation on my first job before I left and started my orient, my new grad orientation on the NICU. Like I was, I was barely finished with orientation before I left the first job. So I was essentially like still a new grad. Um, but in that first job, I didn't, all of my coworkers were, you know, nice. And there were, first of all, there were only a handful of new grads, but I didn't, reach out to like get anyone's number until like the week before I stopped working there and it turns out that this girl was like so nice and we could have been friends and I wonder like how much better my experience would have been if I'd like reached out and realized that like people want to be my friend and people are going through the same like struggles that I am too so like definitely like get get your other new grads numbers like become friends with your other new grads they probably would appreciate it So tell me about your YouTube and Instagram account, because that is actually how I found you. And your videos are actually just like really good, first of all. Um, And I just wanted to know like what inspired it and how you got started with it. Well, thanks. Yeah. um, So I'd say the biggest thing was I actually started it back in nursing school. I'm the kind of person that anytime I look something up, I don't really go to Google to look it up. I go to YouTube. So any question I have, like whatever phase of life I'm in, I'm always YouTubing everything and want to see like other people's experiences and all of that. And so before I started nursing school, I started doing that for looking for other people that had been in nursing school or were currently in it or whatever. I didn't find much. There were a handful, a couple, um, but it seemed like for the most part, I had posted three, four years ago and then never posted again or just really weren't up to date. There were a few that were, but really not a lot. So I was like, well, you know, if I'm the one looking for this content, I'm sure other people are too. Like, I think it would be fun to like one, document it for me to be able to look back on like my journey through nursing school. But also if I can help other people that are going through the same thing, then that's awesome too. So that was kind of my thought process on it and where it started. Um, And it was really just gonna be a place for me to document like throughout nursing school. And I never anticipated it turning into what it, is now where I kind of just document everything. Um, But that's kind of where it came from and what inspired it was just that I felt like there was a need in the area for more content just showing what nursing school really is like. Yeah, that is so awesome. And I think what you said about like finding people who have like one video and then they kind of dropped it is actually a perfect lead in to my next question because I totally understand why that would happen for people who are nurses or in nursing school because it is so hard to keep up with this like I could have easily posted like two podcast episodes and then dropped this because it takes like a ton of work and I am trying my best to like keep up with it and not drop it because I know that there are at least like a handful of people who do like listen to every episode and who like I talk to. Um, And I want like, I know this is helpful for them. And I want to keep being helpful for them. And I truly like, believe in what I'm doing. But like, real talk, your videos are so good. And you have such a big Instagram presence too. like, how do you have the time for this? Yeah, so sometimes I don't, um, to be honest. Sometimes, especially with, you know, starting a job, it's definitely changed things because before I was 
maneuvering around studying and kind of incorporating it with my schedule then, but now that I'm no longer studying and working, it just, it's changed things for sure. Um, and I definitely don't get out content as often as I want, but I think the thing that I try and keep in mind is that I could post more frequently than I do, but it wouldn't be the quality of content that I want it to be. So I just try to be like open and upfront um, with my audience. Like I post on my stories all the time and I'm just like, hey, like, you know, there won't, may not be a video this week or it'll be on a different day than it normally is just because I have to be flexible with my work schedule and at the end of the day remembering that like my job as a nurse has to come first and like being there for my patients has to come first and self-care and all of that. Um, and then just doing my best to make time to make sure that the content I'm producing I feel like is of quality and not just kind of thrown together. So sometimes I don't. Um, sometimes I definitely have to give myself more grace, but I've noticed that having a calendar and kind of scheduling in time to film and edit and do those things on my days off has definitely helped. It kind of holds me accountable to get everything done when I need to. Yeah, I feel like now that I've kind of started dabbling into this world a little bit with the podcast, like these two things are like doing social media and being a nurse are almost just like complete opposites in the sense that like when you're a nurse, you go to work, you work for your set hours, and then you go home and you're like off the clock versus like for this, you kind of have to be careful because like every time you cross one item off of your to-do list, it can make like three more. Like for me, it's like I'll put on my to-do list, contact Abby about, um, you know, scheduling an interview. So then I cross it off, but then you respond to me and now we have an interview scheduled. So I have three more things of like create questions, do your resource research, like get anchor ready, no, 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 you know? Um, and so you kind of have to like take a step back a little bit and realize that like you determine how much you're going to put into it and what you're going to do. And like, you could do like an endless amount of work on social media. Like it could never end, but like, yeah. you kind of have to stop yourself. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people don't realize how much goes into it until they go to do it themselves. And I think that's a part of why a lot of like podcasts or YouTube channels or social media pages will just disappear because it is a lot of work and it is hard. And it does just like you said, like, okay, yeah, we, I filmed a video, but now I have to edit the video or, okay, I have a video idea in mind and now I need to get the supplies together to do it. And then I need to set time to film it and then I need to edit it. Then I have to post it and then you have to talk about it. It's like, just like you said, one checking off one thing just adds three more things to your list. Yeah. I do feel like though it, you kind of develop a routine for some things as you go on. Like my first time recording a podcast, I was just like one super nervous and two like I had to spend so much extra time like figuring out like my editing and like the recording device and like I remember I like practiced with like three different places for like where I put my phone to find like the ideal spacing between my mouth and like the place that was recording my voice um and there was just like a lot of like extra effort I put into it versus now I kind of like have a little bit of a routine so I can just kind of like do it edit upload go repeat and do you feel that way too yeah definitely like with my when it comes to editing my videos I've gotten much faster at it and can do it quicker and just like you said you over time figure out little things that make it a little bit more efficient and a little bit quicker to do um yeah just like you said that's so funny though I would have never thought about like where you hold the mic in relation to your face oh my god (laughs) yeah (laughs) um I also 
wanted to hear your opinion on like a trend that I feel like I'm noticing, but you probably know like a lot better than I do. I feel like there's a lot more like nursing student, like bloggers and YouTubers and like social media people than there are nurse out there. But I might be wrong, but that's just like kind of is what I'm seeing. And I was wondering like, what to you, like, why do you think that might be? And what to you is, like, the biggest difference between, like, being on social media and vlogging and blogging as a nursing student versus as a nurse? A hundred percent. I completely agree. And I think a lot of it has to do with HIPAA and your job as a nurse. Um, I think that nursing is something that is not really talked about because a lot of things can't be talked about. And like, at least for me, people will ask questions about, like, specifics, like, the types of patients I have or the diagnosis I see, and it's a very fine line of talking about those things to be educational and then sharing too much. And I think at the end of the day, as a student, I I don't know, I could be wrong, but I think from my viewpoint, people may see you as a student that you don't have as much to lose, but when you have a job, there's a lot more on the line that, like, if something were to go wrong or you were to say the wrong thing, or it was interpreted the wrong way, that that could impact your career, which is different than as a student. Not that something couldn't impact your career, because it could, but I think it's, I don't know, I think it's different when it's your license um, behind your name. And it's interesting you bring this up. This isn't something I was planning to talk about, but, like, my social media got brought up at my work, and it wasn't a problem. There was nothing that I did wrong but it was a conversation of like hey we are aware that you have the social media presence like just FYI this is our social media policy and nothing that I did you know broke policy or anything like that but it is important to keep in mind and I think that I think that a lot of people just it's easier to just not talk about being a nurse than it is to talk about it and say the wrong thing and it come back and impact your career versus as a student it's super easy to talk about like this is what I learned about in class today Um, as long as you're not going in depth about clinical and what you're seeing in clinical, I think it's much easier to talk about like studying tips and classroom time and things you learned than it is working on the floor and it being under your license. Yeah, absolutely. Those are like really good points and definitely like stuff I've thought about as I've like entered into this realm too. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, this actually, this actually kind of reminds me of a conversation that I was having with my sister, we were just, like, reminiscing about, like, our childhood and stuff, and I remember when I was, like, I don't know, like, a preteen, like, 11, 12, I, like, idolized, like, Taylor Swift and, like, Hilary Duff in the years before that, like, so much, like, I just wanted to be, like, the next Taylor Swift when I grew up, and I was, like, telling her, like, I wish I knew, like, how awesome nurses are, like, if I knew how cool nurses were, I wouldn't have bothered trying to be Taylor Swift when I grew up. I would have just known from the start that I wanted to be a nurse. Um, And from there, like, so first of all, I think that what you do and what other, like, influencers, you know, who are in the medical field do for that reason is really valuable because we are showing what incredible things healthcare workers do and, like, hopefully inspiring other people to join us and become like that. Um, But then my conversation with my sister kind of went into like an interesting tangent where we were like, oh, well, nowadays, like preteens, 11 and 12 year olds have all of these like influencers on like YouTube to like idolize too. And we were like talking about like, oh, is that like good or bad? And like on one hand, I think 
pretty much everyone who's curious has like kind of like fallen into the rabbit hole a little bit and just kind of like checked out that scene um and like one thing that I see that I really like is that a lot of people are trying to be like very open about like their struggles and like not everything is like picture perfect and people try to like you know show that like they have insecurities that like their life isn't perfect which I think is really good and I do hear like they'll get like comments from like young girls like oh like you've helped me so much like I feel like you're my big sister like that kind of stuff which I think is good and a lot better than just having like you know skinny blonde Paris Hilton to look up to when you're 12 you know Mm -hmm. but at the same time like at the end of the day they do make money by selling people things and in order to sell someone something you have to make them feel like they need it and that like they're not like good enough without it so like Mm -hmm. that that still kind of bothers me but then like I kind of like took it I was like well what about healthcare influencers and again like I kept for me I kind of bring it back to we are showing people how incredible the things we do in this profession are and we might be inspiring the next generation to join us and so I think that that the good in that like outweighs the bad but I just really wanted to hear your take on being like a healthcare influencer healthcare social media presence today yeah I I completely agree with you I do think the benefits outweigh the negatives to it um I would say for me personally like there are people at my work that know about it, which is a little bit strange because it's weird. It's weird to me when people know a lot about you and you don't know anything about them or have never met them, but they know your life. That's always odd um, and an adjustment. So that was weird for me at first, but that's one thing I talked to my unit about, like when my social media was brought up to them. Um, I just let them know I was like my platform is educational and that's all that it's ever been and I'm just trying to show like the realities of being a nurse I've shown it the realities of being a nursing student of being a nurse of being in the NICU what the NICU's like without you know directly talking about my patients or specifically where I work or anything like that um and I think that that those benefits do outweigh the negatives. And that's one thing I, like I said, I discussed with them and they were very, they responded really well to that. And we're like, Oh, we totally agree. Like you, we think like if someone were to know where I work, that I make the hospital look like a good place to work and like the NICU, a great place to be and all of that. So that was great. Um, But it's not to say it isn't, it isn't nerve wracking being a, like having a social media presence while working in healthcare, especially in the year that we're in, I just think post 2020 healthcare workers were brought to light in such a way that we were never seen before. And so now there's so many more eyes on us. Um, and just knowing that like my coworkers know about my social media and not that I'm doing anything wrong because I'm not, it's just, it's different and it's strange. And I think especially for the older generation, they don't really understand it. They don't really understand what goes into social media or what the point of it is or anything like that. Um, And so I'd say that that's unique and that is an adjustment for me personally with the presence that I have, even though it's not, you know, it's nothing crazy, but it still exists. Um, That's definitely been an adjustment, but like there are accounts that I've followed for forever that I adore. And there are so many accounts that are super educational, um, especially for the NICU, like Midwest Marissa, the nurse, um, Nurse Tori. Her podcast, her Instagram was so helpful when I was thinking about even going into the NICU. And so I think that those 
those people have such an awesome presence um, and a great way to educate, just like you said, the up and coming generation. I think that that's huge. And I absolutely think that, yeah, it may be weird for people to like watch you on social media and you don't know about it or like people know more about you than you know about them. Like that may be an adjustment, but I think that it's so worth it. And I think that anybody else who is considering doing anything like this, that it's so worth it. Because just like you said, the people who reach out to me and are like, Hey, like I never thought about NICU before. And now I'm thinking about it. Or I used to be pursuing this degree and now I really want to become a nurse. Like that is amazing. And that's what's worth it more than just being like just a celebrity, you know, like not just a celebrity, but it just inspires something different than like, Oh, here's my favorite outfit or (laughs) I don't know. It's just different. And I think it's, I think it's way worth it. I think it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I think I see in influencers on social media, something a little bit who are in healthcare, um, something a little bit more substantial. Yeah. I really like that. Yeah. I'd agree. Um, so you've touched on this already a little bit, but how has having your social media presence impacted your journey as a nurse? Um, I'd say it didn't really, it didn't really change anything um, up until like my school knew about it, but it it didn't really matter. And then my work knows about it now, um, which it's been fine. It hasn't impacted me negatively at all. It's just something that exists. I don't really know how to describe what I'm trying to say. Um, I wouldn't say that it's impacted me negatively. I think if anything, like there are a couple of people that I work with that have come up to me and were like, Hey, like I watched you when I was in nursing school, like some of the girls that are newer than I am. Um, and they've followed me on social media and we're like, it's so cool to meet you and like, get, you know, like get to know me as a real person, which I think is awesome. And I think that ultimately, if anything, I would hope that people that meet me in real life recognize that like, I'm hopefully the same person on (laughs) social media that I am in real life. And like, I'm just like anybody else. I think that some people see like the number next to my name of followers or subscribers or whatever, and, and have a association with that. But in reality, it's, it, it's no different to me if I had 10 subscribers or one or 10,000, it doesn't really change the way I feel. Um, but I think to some people it does, they look at it and they're like, Oh my gosh, like that's a lot of followers. Like, that's so strange. Like, why do so many people (laughs) follow Abby? But to me, I'm like, it's, it's just this community that I've built of nursing students and other nurses. And I think, I think if anything, it's made me grateful for the platform that I have and grateful for the job that I have, because especially in the NICU, um, I think that there aren't a lot of, like you said, there's a lot of nursing students and not a lot of nurses. And I think it's because nurses get pushed out of posting on social media, probably out of fear or their unit telling them, you know, you can't post X, Y, and Z, or don't talk about where you work or don't talk about your patients and all of that, which is obviously so important. And like maintaining HIPAA is ultimately so important. Um, and our patient care matters so much more than social media does. But I think that that's why a lot of people probably stopped posting. And Nurse Tori was like really one of the only NICU related people I knew on social media before I went into the NICU. So I read every blog post and every Instagram post that I could get my hands on for her. So I think to be able to offer that as a resource to anyone else is is so worth it to me. Um, and I think it just makes me enjoy my job even more because I know that I'm helping my patients and their families, but I'm also like potentially showing nursing students what their job could look like if it was this was something they ever wanted to pursue. 
Yeah. And I think something that's really cool about what you do specifically and what I'm hoping that I get to do is we kind of create, like show what it looks like when you're kind of learning how to be a nurse in the NICU or a nurse wherever you are. Um, Because I think it's so awesome to have all of these like experienced nurses, like, you know, who are like, solid in their jobs and careers and very confident at work and like posting on social media about what it's like for them but it's not always that easy for us like the things that they describe or how they can just go to work and then relax at home or whatever like sometimes it's hard for us to let go and I think it's really when you are very authentic about that and when I you know interview and talk to other nurses who have like you know little bumps in the road on their journeys into this profession um I think it's really helpful for other people to hear about that and to know that that's okay yeah I agree um has anything surprised you about your social media journey and this community and does anything bother you about it um I think the thing that bothers me is like people attempting to find out where I work. <laughs> I think that's a little weird. Um, I get messages all the time asking like, is this where you work? Is this where you work? And I'm like, Oh, like if you work where I work and you know me and you see me at work, like, of course, come up and say hi to me. And the fact that, you know, that's fine because you work in the same hospital, but people like going out of their way that maybe like live in the area and want to apply where I work or aren't even from here. Um, it's just feels a little weird. It's like a little bit of an invasion of privacy in some ways. Um, you know, it's fine, but it, it just is a little bit, I don't know. It just feels a little strange. So I would say that part is, was an adjustment for me. I think, um, sometimes on social media, I think people feel entitled to know more information about your life than you want to share or are willing to share. Like specifically with nursing, they want to know like what kind of patients you are you seeing or what happened today? Or like, you know, have you ever been involved in a code and what was that like? And so there are just some things that we can't really share. And I get that that's hard for students or new nurses. And I get that they want that information because like, I would have loved to have known what that experience was like for the first time for someone too. But it's also not something I can share without compromising my patient and the scenario that they were in specifically. Um, So I think that surprises me is just the way people want to know everything about your life, which in some ways is great. Like I love my community and I'm, I'm so glad that they love keeping up with my life. That's wonderful. And I appreciate it. But um, I just wasn't expecting people to be that detailed of wanting to know like where I work and where I live and where I went to school and all of those things. Um, And then I'd also say my growth of my platform, I never anticipated, which to me, like 11,000 followers isn't a ton, but it also feels like a lot to me because I never expected it to be anything. I didn't even expect 10. So the fact that there's that many is crazy. Um, So that's weird too. I think sometimes I forget that I'm talking to that many people when I talk. (laughs) Yeah, girl, that is a lot. How long have you had your platform? Um, A few years. It was since like... I want to say 2017 or 18 genuinely at the time, like that was growing. It was never my goal. It was really just like, I'm documenting my life through nursing school. If anyone wants to see what I'm doing, they can follow me. Like it doesn't, it's not a huge thing. Um, so yeah, it definitely took me a while to get to where I am, but it's been a few years. 
Yeah, dude, 11,000. That's, like, huge to me. (laughs) Um, And I have also, like, seen firsthand, like, people go a little bit far on your account. And it, like, shocks me, too. Like, just, like, in your questions or whatever. And I'm, like, why would someone, like, ask Ask that? that. Like, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Um, Yeah. People, like, have no shame in getting very personal sometimes. Like, oh, okay. (laughs) <laughs> the internet's a weird place guys yep. um okay so now we're gonna go to one of my favorite parts um these are just my like rapid fire like fun surprise questions okay, um cool. so I didn't prepare her at all I'm just gonna ask these and then like first answer that comes to mind okay um coffee versus tea and what do you order coffee um definitely iced coffee typically just like a cold brew um, maybe sometimes with some sweetener, but it's typically just cream, cold brew, iced. I never get tea. <laughs> okay. Respect. Um, what do you listen to on your way to and from work? Oh, all the podcasts. So like your podcast I listen to, um, <laughs> uh, Lacey's the empowered nurse podcast, crime junkie. I love crime junkie. Um, what else? I think that's most of them right now, but uh, pretty much always podcasts. I'm terrible about listening to music. Oh, man. Are you going to listen to this one, like, when it's your episode? I was thinking about that. I don't know if I'll want to, like, I don't like hearing my own voice, so I yeah. don't know. <laughs> I have not listened to a single one of my own episodes. Like, after I finish editing it, I upload it, and then, like, I'm done. I don't touch it, because I actually hate the sound of my own voice, too. <laughs> yes, that's how I am with my YouTube videos. I'm like, okay, once it's posted, I'm never watching it. Like, that's just what it is. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. I guess we'll see. Are you a meal prepper or order inner? Ooh, more of a meal prepper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, favorite brand of scrubs? Oh, I'd say I like the Uniform Advantage. It's their, it's like their brand, Uniform Advantage. And then I think it's the soft, what is it? Soft stretch, I think is what it's called. Oh. Yeah. They're really comfy. Who should chart at 7 a.m.? Oh, I think the next shift should chart at 7 a.m. I think it's silly that I have to file 7 a.m. vitals when I'm leaving, but that's just... So, day shift. Yeah, so, like, if I'm on nights, day shift should. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, like, don't know. I honestly, I usually chart at 7 p.m. and 7 a.m. because I'm scared and I just want it covered by someone. Mm. But, like, (laughs) I always put that because I'm like, does anyone know? (laughs) (laughs) Um, What sea animal are you? A turtle, like a sea turtle, green sea turtle. Oh, I like that one. I actually, I didn't upload this one yet, but the last person I interviewed also said that. And I oh. think that's such a cute answer. They're so chill. <laughs> yeah. Um, favorite smell? Probably. Okay, there's a scent from Bath and Body Works. I think it's called Mahogany Teakwood. It just smells like, you remember when you were younger and you'd walk past Abercrombie and Fitch and you could smell that store from like down the hallway of the mall? That smell. It's like a man's cologne smell. Oh my God, nostalgia. (laughs) Um, Okay, so those are my fun personality questions. Um, We're kind of nearing the end. Um, Here's like my final question for you. What is coming up next? Is there anything that you are like super excited about and want to share? Um, I'm excited to be done with orientation. I think that'll be good. I'm excited to have some level three kiddos on my own. Um, 
This is definitely down the road quite a ways, but our unit offers, um, we have a stork team, which is basically a team that goes over to high-risk deliveries and the nurse that is there helps transition the baby. And that's definitely something I miss about the hospital that I did my senior practicum at. So um, you have to have two years on the floor to do that. So it's definitely a ways away, but it's for sure like in my eyesight that I would like to do. But otherwise, just getting off of orientation, um, Connor and I are looking at potentially building a house. So that's exciting. Um, we'll see if that pans out. I don't totally know. It's definitely still in the works right now. But yeah, that's pretty much it. Oh, wow. That sounds so exciting. I can't even imagine that. That must be like a ton of work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see how it how it goes. Um, nothing started yet, but we're in talks with the builder. So we'll see. Cool. Okay. So I actually have one more final, final question. Um, If anyone, you know, really connected to something you said or like wanted to ask you a question and they're also like, I don't know, living under a rock and don't know how to find you, um, give yourself a little plug of how someone can find and contact you. Oh yeah, of course. Let me see. Make sure I get my name right hold on I just changed my Instagram name so I'm like what did I change it to okay um yeah so my Instagram is just my first and my middle name so it's Abigail A-B-I-G-A-E-L and then my middle name is Lanai it's L-A-N-A-I so it's just one word Abigail and I um that's my Instagram I try to respond to as many DMs like as frequently as I can sometimes they get put into my request box and I can't always see them so if it gets put in there and I'm slow to respond, that's why. But I genuinely work hard to respond to everybody. So I'd be more than happy if anybody has questions or anything they want to chat about. I'm always open. Yeah, she is so good. I like when I first like introduced myself to her, I like DM'd her out of the blue and she responded like really fast. <laughs> and I was kind of thinking she wasn't going to reply at all. Um, so yeah, she's pretty good, guys. Go ahead, DM her if you relate and want to contact her at all. <laughs> well, thanks. All right. And we're done. Thanks so much for listening. Abby, thanks so much for being on the show. You are so awesome. I think people are really going to love this. Oh, thanks. Well, thanks for having me. I had so much fun. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really hope that you liked it. I want to reach as many new nurses as I can. So it would mean so much to me if you could follow and interact with us on social media at registered the podcast on Instagram And share this show with any new nurses you know who may be interested in being a part of this community. If any of this resonated with you, please subscribe on whatever you're listening with, either Apple Music or Spotify. I really want to deliver content that is helpful and meaningful for you. So please leave a review um, so I know what you liked and what else I can do to make this resonate even more with you. Finally, if you're interested in sharing your story, there is a link in our Instagram bio at registered the podcast for you to fill out with your information so I can contact you. Thanks so much. Can't wait to hear from you.